1: Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com.
2: Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3? We're taking a look at the church in Philadelphia. Man, as you take a look at this, you might notice that this church is sort of the mirror opposite of the church in Sardis. It's the exact opposite of the congregation in Sardis. It shows us the strength of weakness. And that's one of the things that I hope that you'll notice as we take a look at this section of Scripture, Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 7, reading through verse 13. We're going to find out about the strength of weakness. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut. Who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews but are not, but lie. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What does it mean to be a good Christian? And what does it mean to be a good church? Our temptation is to believe that those who are the loudest and the flashiest, those who are acknowledged as the most successful, who are the most famous, those who have the most objective markers of worldly success, it's easy to believe that those are the ones that are the successful ones. Those are the ones that are the successful Christians. For us to believe that those who are eager to talk about their Christian accomplishments, that those are the successful ones. In fact, to just make it as maybe simple and crass as sometimes pastors talk about it, oftentimes pastors will talk about the three B's which mark success in life of pastoral ministry. Do you know what the three B's are? Well, I'm going to tell you. The three B's are buildings, big buildings, big budgets, And big numbers of bottoms that fill the seats. Those are the three B's that people will talk about. Sometimes when pastors get together, they'll say, will you tell me about the three B's of your congregation? They're asking for worldly markers of success. I know they're children, so I use the the less crass version of the third one for all of you. But you can understand what pastors usually talk about. This is what people will sometimes use as markers of success for a church or for a ministry. The three B's. But we were checked on that last week, weren't we? As we encountered the church in Sardis. This was a church that was, had a reputation for success, a reputation for being alive, and Jesus looks through the reputation, doesn't judge by outward appearance, but judges the heart, and he says, no, no, no you have this reputation for being alive, you're actually dead. Harsh words for this church in Sardis. And the church in Philadelphia here, this is a church that was about 30 miles from the church in Sardis, not all that far away. About the distance from us to O'Hare, almost exactly the distance from us right here to O'Hare International Airport. But despite the fact that these two congregations were separated by not that much space and had entirely different reputations, the church in Sardis with a reputation for being alive and successful, the church in Philadelphia with a reputation for being weak, Jesus has exact opposite uh, ways of understanding both of these congregations. The successful congregation, so-called, in Sardis, is told that they are not alive, that they are dead. And this church in Philadelphia, Jesus says, listen, I know your weakness, I understand that you have little power, but he reminds them that he is the one who holds them. And so again, we don't continue based on reputation, but on what Jesus says, The fact that this church in Philadelphia is held by the Lord Jesus, the fact that they have been faithful to his ways, that is all that matters, and that makes them a much more mighty church than the successful one that's just down the road. This letter follows the pattern of the other letters in the book of Revelation with a key difference. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation in this letter to the church in Philadelphia. There is only praise. Just like the humble church in Smyrna, this church receives only praise from the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, the most effusive encouragement and praise, the largest amount of promises to any congregation is to this church in Philadelphia. So let's take a look. Let's take a look at the letter and let's walk our way through the verses of the letter here this morning. Jesus again provides the introduction to this letter and he says to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Jesus here is identified as the Holy and true one. As with the other letters, there's a connection between the introduction and the description of Jesus here and the church that this letter is being written to. Jesus Christ is the holy and the true one. And this congregation, despite its apparent weakness, has been holy and has been true. And therefore, Jesus is speaking a word that is specifically for this congregation, You've been holy and true because you are kept by the holy and true one. And you being holy and true, you being like me, is a lot more important than you having the worldly appearance of success. You see this church just down the road, Sardis, this this church whose letter you just heard read, they are the ones that have the reputation for the success. You are the ones who know you are weak, but you're holy and you're faithful which means that you are like me. The fact that Jesus is holy and true, the fact that he is holy and faithful also means that he is going to be true to his promises. And so for this humble, small, weak congregation, this church with no worldly success to speak of, They can be greatly encouraged by the fact that Jesus, the one who holds them, will continue to be faithful to them and continue to sustain them. And so this is an encouraging introduction at the very beginning, and then it continues with encouraging words spoken about the church. Verse 8 continues, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. This is a church that was under fire, just like the congregations in every other part of of this part of the world that had received a letter. This is a church that was facing opposition. It seems as that we continue to read that this is a church that, uh, just like Smyrna, was receiving opposition from the Jewish synagogue in the area. This was a city that was well known for having a large Jewish population, and just like with the church in Smyrna, at first when the church came onto the scene, they received protection from the Roman Empire because they were seen as a part of Judaism, but those places where the Jews were like, no, 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 they're not a part of us. They're not a part of us. They're different from us. They're They're distinct from us. When those those Jews would remove the sort of protection, the church would start experiencing opposition from the Roman Empire because Christianity was not a legal faith or religion. And so this seems to have happened here. They're receiving opposition from the powerful ruling Roman authorities as well as the Jewish synagogue that is in their midst. And despite the opposition that they are facing and experiencing, this is a church that will not deny Christ Jesus, that has kept his word, that has followed his ways, and they have not denied his name. And so because this church is characterized by their faithful commitment to Jesus and to his ways, Jesus has a beautiful promise for all of them. And he has no words of condemnation for them at all. And this is a really beautiful promise. I know that you have but little power. and So behold, I set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. What does that mean? What Jesus is saying is this is that for this faithful church and for all of the members therein who are a part of this faithful congregation, they will be able to enter into the heavenly kingdom and dwell forever and ever with their God. Jesus shows here that he is the one that has the keys of life and death that he and he only is able to open the way to everlasting life. And for this faithful congregation that has refused to deny the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says that door is open before you and there is not a soul or a power in the universe that can shut it since I have opened it for you.
1: Today's message on grounded and growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, To listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com. That's GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message.
2: The letter continues on, Behold... I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, behold, I will make them come, down bef- uh, come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. This section of Scripture is a startling reversal of some things that we see in the Old Testament Most specifically, in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 14, the Lord predicts that the Gentile nations would come and bow before Israel. This is what Isaiah chapter 60, verse 14 says. It says, the children of your oppressors will come bowing down before you. All who despise you will bow down at your feet and will call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. This prophecy that is given in Isaiah chapter 60 verse 14 is fulfilled in a shocking way because the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is now the new Israel. This is a stark reversal and it reminds us that with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ one must not be of a particular ethnic identity or cultural heritage to be saved and to be a part of the family of God. What Jesus is saying here is that those that have clung to the traditions of the elders and have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are going to be a part of the nations, the Gentiles, the others that are going to come and and bow down before the church. The combination of Jews and Gentiles and those of all people and tongues and tribes and nations. This is the new Israel. And those that oppose the church, whoever they may be, they will come and bow down before the church and give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ man, that's a striking reversal. And it continues the promise of goodness that comes to this church in Philadelphia. The letter continues. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. This is one of the themes that will continue on through the book of Revelation, the themes of trials and tribulations that will come onto the earth before the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And one of the promises here in Revelation chapter 3 to the church in Philadelphia is that they will be preserved in the midst of that trial. That while the Lord Jesus Christ will send tribulations and trials, and while they will have to experience some of the difficulties of them, the the great difficulty of experiencing the wrath of God is something that this congregation will be protected from. Further encouragement that's given to this church. And then he says this in verses 11 and 12. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. This is the fourth time that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ has been stressed in these letters to the churches, but this is the first time that it's been a positive thing for the church. To Ephesus in chapter two, verse five, Christ's return would mean the removal of its lampstands. To Pergamum in 2.16, it would mean judgment with the sword of his mouth. To Sardis in chapter three, verse three, sudden and unexpected judgment like a thief in the night. To Philadelphia, however, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ would mean vindication and reward. Jesus, you see, is coming back. And here's the odd thing. That's going to either be the most wonderful or most terrible thing. And here's the reason. It's going to be the most wonderful or the most terrible thing because it will mean the end of sin and judgment on evildoers. Now, if Jesus comes and ends sin, and that's like your thing, right? Then he's taking away the thing that you are all about. And here's the thing, all of us at one time when we were apart from Christ were about being in sin, every single one of us. That was the thing that we were about. That's what Ephesians tells us, Ephesians chapter two. At one time, all of us followed the patterns of the prince of the air. We followed the patterns of this world. We were given to disobedience in our mind. We were enemies with God. And you see, if Jesus comes to end sin, then that means that if you are all about that, you're not gonna like it but let me tell you what characterizes a Christian. One who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ wants to be freed from sin. And so if Jesus comes to end sin, this is a glorious and a good thing. Because this means my enemy, this thing I've been struggling against, this thing I've been fighting against, this thing that I've been battling, Jesus is bringing an end to it. And you you see, here is is a, a word that may be challenging and may be comforting. Jesus also comes to bring judgment on all evildoers. And that means on everyone who is apart from Christ. You want to know the only way that you can be righteous? Is by having the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The only way that you can be righteous is by repenting of your sin and turning to Jesus Christ. So that Jesus bears all of your sins in his body on the cross. And so that when Jesus rises again from the grave, he gives to you all of his righteousness. That's how you get to be righteous. And for all of those that have had sins forgiven by Christ Jesus at the cross, to every single person that stands in the robes of righteousness at the return of Christ Jesus, this is going to be glorious. Because the Father is going to say, you are are forgiven, you are as holy and righteous as my son was on your behalf. When we see Jesus, that's going to be glorious for those of us that are found in Christ Jesus. But for everyone that doesn't trust in Jesus, for every person that continues to trust in themselves, in their own ways, in their own righteousness, it's not going to be a good thing to have Jesus come in judgment. And you see, one of the challenging things in the book of Revelation is is just what I mentioned, that that this is the fourth time that Christ's return has been talked about. It's been spoken of as a, a negative thing for three of those four churches, and what that means is that, is that just by being present in a church congregation or membership does not necessarily mean that one is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be a part of a church and still be trusting in your own righteousness and not trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for all of those that, that you know, are not keeping Christ's ways or are entrusting in themselves, and, and it's not going to be a good thing when Christ returns. But for every person that like those Christians in Philadelphia... For every person that's weak enough to acknowledge that you on your own is not enough, that you on your own that that what you offer is not enough, that you apart from Jesus that you're not enough, if you're weak enough to be able to acknowledge that, then the return of Jesus is going to be beautiful, because the return of Jesus is going to is going to come with all of these promises, all of these promises. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. And let me tell you about some of the promises that are for you. If you trust in Jesus, if you are weak and humble enough to acknowledge that you need Jesus, these are the promises for you. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, why is this a wonderful promise? Well, to understand this, I think it's helpful to know a little bit about the city of Philadelphia. This was a city. This was a city that was in a region, in an area that regularly experienced earthquakes. Because of that, because earthquakes were regularly coming to the city of Philadelphia, most of the people had moved out of the center city area and were surrounding it, and farms, to use, I guess, common parlance, there weren't a ton of people in the urban area of the city, there were a lot of people in the rural farm areas surrounding Philadelphia, because so often there were earthquakes that would come, and the buildings that were constructed in the city of Philadelphia would collapse on the people that were there, and there were destruction and death, right? The most stable part of any temple... The most stable and secure and solid part of any temple were its pillars. Oftentimes, at the time of earthquake, the pillars would stand firm even though the roof would cave in. And as time has continued, there are a great deal, a great number of temples that have had roofs cave in, but the pillars have continued to remain. Let me just draw your attention to a few of them so that you can understand the stability of some of of the temples. The first one is the Parthenon. It's located on the top of the Acropolis. It's dedicated to Athena. It was built in the fifth century BC. Do you notice what's gone in that picture? The roof. You notice what's still there? The pillars. Why? Because they're the most stable part of any constructed building, and in this time, they were the most stable, solid part of any constructed temple. Let me give you a second picture. This is a temple to Hera that is located in southern Italy, and it, it contains two temples that were dedicated to Hera, the goddess of marriage and childbirth. You know what's gone on both of those temples? The roof. You know what's still there on both of them? The pillars. The pillars. Because the pillars are the most solid and stable part of any construction. And here's a third picture. The one that experienced probably the most earthquakes. This is the temple of Poseidon that's situated on the, on the tip of Attica Peninsula. It's surrounded by the sea. you see what's gone? Almost everything. You know what's still there? Almost all of the pillars. What Jesus is saying here is in this environment in which you live, in this place where earthquakes will regularly destroy a great deal of the buildings, you are a part of the building that will remain. You are the most stable, solid portion of the temple that, w- that is built to meet. You see, Jesus doesn't dwell, the Lord, the Lord God does not dwell in temples built by human hands like that of Athena, Or uh, or Hera or Poseidon, like these three temples that we've just seen. Jesus dwells in a temple that is constructed of his church. The members of his body, you and me, and the members of the church in Philadelphia. And the most stable and solid part of that temple are those that he has made to be his. You, you church, you that seem so weak you that dwell in the midst of earthquakes that are regularly toppling the majority of buildings, you are going to be a part of that stable, solid portion of a structure that remains. You're mine, he's telling them. And you're continuing you're continuing to be solid and strong and stable despite your apparent worldly weakness. But there's another important part of all of this, this illustration, because the people of this church in Philadelphia are the, the, the pillars of the temple. And the understanding at this time of of where uh, a deity would dwell. It would be in between the pillars of the temple. And so what he's saying is this. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be present with you. Because I'm going to make you a pillar in my temple. You're you're solid, you're stable, you're immovable, and you are where I will be. I'm going to make you strong, and I'm going to be with you. The leaders of the Jewish synagogue in Philadelphia believe that the true temple was in Jerusalem, but Jesus reminds the church that the true temple is in the new heavens and the new earth where God will be in the midst of his people. And this is where Jesus will dwell with his people. And then, the next promise is this. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. And for all eternity, forever and ever and ever, you will have his name written upon you, meaning you will always be his child.
1: My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you.
2: Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reform Church. This month we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com.